Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Genesis 29, 21, before I came to Christ and even in the first few years after I came to Christ, I made my share of mistakes. So I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm preaching down at you. I rest in the grace of God because I did a ton of things the wrong way. So I don't want to put a trip on any of you, but here's what I want to do now. Now that I know the Lord and now that Christ is being formed in me, I want to be a man of honor. And sometimes my flesh doesn't want me to be. My flesh says, oh, it's okay. Everybody else is doing it. And I'm like, no, I want to honor God. So look, if you've made mistakes, welcome (laughs) to, to my club. Been there. But I'll tell you what, you can't change tomorrow. I mean, you can't change yesterday. You can't change it. Everybody, you need to hear that. You can't change yesterday. You can't control tomorrow, but you can live for Christ now. And so many of us, we get stuck in regret. And we get stuck in these feelings like, I'm not worth anything to the Lord. Look, if the Lord was using people based upon performance, I'm going to go sit down. And somebody else should be up here. But no, God uses broken vessels. People have made their share of mistakes. And Jacob is a great example of that. We're we're studying a guy who's definitely a conniver. He's a deceiver. And yet God is being gracious to him. So he says, look, it's time. And Laban gathered, verse 22, all the men of the place, and he made a feast. This was typical in ancient weddings. They would have a legal engagement, usually a year, but of course this is seven years he had to wait. And uh, then they would would have a public ceremony. They would would have... uh, public ceremony to honor the betrothal. Then they would have a wedding banquet, and the wedding banquet actually would often last a week, seven days, to have a wedding reception. Pretty cool, huh? You know, that's, that's a lot different than we do. We, we do a couple hours at a, at a party after a wedding. We're like, oh, what time is it, honey? Uh, no, man, they knew how to party, and, and, and they would have a week-long party, and at the end of the first day, this is my understanding of the custom, at the end of the first day of the celebration, the wedding, the uh, couple would consummate the marriage, and it would be all part of what they did. And the woman would often be dressed in a veil, and she would be brought to him, and often weddings were, they occurred at night, and notice the emphasis here on the men. It seemed like The men had gathered. I don't know where the women were, but um, they're having this banquet and uh, there's a lot of partying going on. I'm sure a lot of making merry. Wine was part of that culture. I'm sure they're probably sharing in some wine. Now it came about, verse 23, in the evening that he, Uncle Laban, took his daughter, who? Leah. And he brought her to him and Jacob went into her. Now Uncle Laban pulled what's called the old switcheroo (laughs) he switched one daughter for the other now some people say now wait a minute if if uncle laban pulled the old switcheroo one's named ulam the other one's named wild cow come on (laughs) now let's not push that too far 
We do know that, Ray, we know that Leah's eyes were weak and, and we know there's a contrast between the two, but they're probably in similar size. Maybe their voices, you know how siblings' voices sound pretty close. And she probably had a veil on, that's what we would understand. It was nighttime and Jacob probably had been doing his share of making merry. And so, you know, all of a sudden, here comes this bride and get this, it's, it's uh I, I would just say it's, it's probable, if not uh, right on the money, that she was probably dressed in Rachel's clothing and perfume. In other words, Uncle Laban probably dressed up Leah to look like Rachel. Sound familiar? There was another parent who told Jacob to put on the fur so that dad would believe that he was Esau when he was really Jacob. And all of a sudden, the old switcheroo, what, what is it? What comes around, goes around, what goes around, comes around, however you say it. Now, no karma. <laughs> We've talked about that. In the Bible, it's sowing and reaping, okay? I know what you were saying, Michelle. Sorry. <laughs> sowing and reaping. What he had done earlier came back to bite him. And she got dressed up in the perfume and everything. And, and I wonder where Rachel was at this time. She locked in some room trying to beat the door down. This is like sibling soap opera. You know, this is like the stuff of movies here. But it's probably that in that culture, she bowed to the will of her father even though she knew that the whole thing was the game, it was all manipulation and the, you know, the chickens had come home to roost in the life of Jacob. Laban also gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as a maid. That was tradition that they would do as well if there were maids to be given. And so it came about in the morning that behold, <laughs> so, so Jacob, Jacob wakes up and you might be thinking, well, did they talk at all? Well, there's probably some hushed whispers and that kind of thing. Who knows? But here's what we do know. When he woke up in the morning, he went, uh-oh. <laughs> he took a couple aspirin and then took another look. <laughs> What's happened here? She's not the one I worked seven years for. That's Leah. And he said to Laban, you can hear, probably see him running out of the tent. Father-in-law's having the eggs. And he says, what is this that you have done to me, 25? Was it not for Rachel? Did I not articulate the name of the daughter that I wanted to marry, that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Do you think he had a moment of realization as he spoke those words? Because the words are really similar to what Esau said to Jacob. Oh, he has supplanted me these two times. He's a deceiver. How horrible our sins look when someone else is doing them to us. You see, we've heard the old saying, how horrible our sins look when someone else is committing them. But when someone else is committing them on us, it's even worse. 
And I wonder if there was a moment of both irony and epiphany for Jacob, like, dude, do you realize what's just happened here? What you did has come back on you. Uncle Laban just deceived you. Of course, in Esau's case, when Jacob deceived Esau, Esau was kind of like almost ambivalent about the birthright and the blessing. He was a man of the flesh. He didn't really seem to care a whole lot until he knew what he was going to lose. But Jacob's love for Rachel was so deep that the pain of this deception had to be even deeper. And he had to be deeply wounded. If any of you have ever been deceived by a loved one, you know the pain. You know how bad it feels when you realize you've been duped, but then if you have to come in touch with some feelings that you've done the same in your own past. And speaking of clothing and manipulation, you know that later when Jacob uh, has the 12 sons and all these ladies we're about to meet are gonna be involved in giving offspring to Jacob. There's gonna be four, two wives and two maids that actually give offspring to Jacob. And we'll talk about that in a future study. But later on in his life, he has a favorite son and the favorite son is Joseph. And his own sons come and they put some blood on his coat of many colors and they use garments and, and I think it's goat's blood there to deceive their dad later on in his life. Even his own sons do the same thing. And so you, you can see how these patterns can develop and how um, sometimes there's what we might call poetic retribution, poetic uh, things that happen in life. I'll tell you a quick story. This is sports related, but... Um, I, I always wonder if God uh, cares about sports, and specifically if he cares about my teams. <laughs> Can I get a witness in here? Now, some of you don't care about sports, and I understand that. No, I don't. But anyway, no. But So, I don't know if you guys knew this, but Vin Scully is finishing a 67-year career in broadcasting Dodger games from uh, Brooklyn to Los Angeles, and He's been an amazing man. I don't know if he's a Christian, but there's times when the way he talks, he sure seems like he is. But I've heard he's done a lot of tremendous things for a lot of people, and there's been a real career of humility there. So the Dodgers were playing a game over the weekend, and um, the Giants were playing the Padres. So the Giants were just down the road playing the San Diego Padres, and the way that this was set up is if the Giants lost or the Dodgers won, they would win the division. And it was Vin Scully's last home game, so his last broadcasting game. Bottom of the ninth, two outs. The Dodgers are losing, three to two. And the Giant game is about two innings behind the Dodger game. So, you know, when you're in sports and your team's about to win a championship, you're like, we don't want to back into the championship. We don't, we don't want to celebrate because someone else lost. We want to win. It's Vin's last game. There's a lot going on here. So two outs, bottom of the ninth. Guy named Corey Seager comes up. He's a great short, young shortstop for the Dodgers. And he hits a solo home run to tie the game in the bottom of the ninth with two outs. So it was pretty cool. And you're like, yeah, yeah, extra innings, yeah. So all of a sudden, as they move into the 10th inning, the realization comes that the Padres are still beating the Giants. And the Giants are about to lose. The Padre-Giant game is going to end in about 10 minutes. So the Dodgers are batting in the bottom of the 10th inning. And a guy named Charlie Culberson comes to the plate. He's a... Uh, 
basically a bench player who comes in and plays infield from time to time. He hasn't hit a home run in two years. He's at the plate in the bottom of the 10th. The, Dodger, the giant Padre game is about to end and the Giants are losing. And so you th- I'm, think- I'm on my bed and I'm thinking, it's Vin's last game. Lord, I don't know if you care about things like this. This is my prayer. I don't know if God did it in response to my prayer. So. But I said, Lord, would you just give Charlie Culberson the power to hit a home run right now? I'm sitting there laying on my bed. All of a sudden, the pitch comes and Charlie Culberson hits a home run down the left field line to win the game. Right? So I had just prayed that, and I'm like, Lord, I don't know if that was you, but thank you. Right? So they interviewed Charlie Culberson. He said, man, the way that the sun was, it was about a 4.30 game. He said, I could barely even see the first pitch that they threw. And he said, when I put a swing on the second one, he said, I haven't hit a home run in two years, but as soon as I hit that ball, I knew it was gone. And I was like, yeah. So anyway, that may have no meaning to you, but... You guys may have heard that um, there was a terrible boating accident and a uh, young Marlins pitcher died, 24-year-old. Uh, very, very good pitcher who uh, uh, came over here from Cuba and has a backstory. And I don't know much about him, but I know the Marlins were devastated. And a former Dodger named D. Gordon was the first batter in the game. They canceled the game after they found out about his death. He was supposed to be the starting pitcher. So D. Gordon was overwhelmed by the loss of this 24-year-old pitcher. They all gathered around the mound. I think they were praying and everything. So D. Gordon came up. He's the first batter in the first game that they're going to play in light of his death. They all have his jersey on. And D. Gordon, who's the about 160-pound little slip of a guy, hit a home run over the right field wall in his first at bat, ran, on the, ran around the bases in tears, Afterwards, he was interviewed, and he said, he said this, and he said this, I think, to his teammates. He said, if you guys don't believe there's a God, I don't know what's wrong with you. He said, I've never hit a ball that far in my whole entire life. Now, does God care about things like that? I sure hope that he cares about the Dodgers. But anyway, here's my point. Sometimes poetic justice or irony goes both ways. Sometimes it comes around to us in a negative way. But even if we get what we might call something that's negative and it's poetic, in other words, it's something that we go, ooh, this may be a message to me. Do you know that if God does allow that in your life, he's simply doing it because he loves you? Because God disciplines the son in whom he delights. And all discipline doesn't seem fun in the moment, paraphrasing. Write this down. This is Hebrews 12, 5 through about 14. All discipline seems not to be pleasant. Would you like to be spanked right now, young man? (laughs) Typical response, no thank you. (laughs) Not pleasant, but it produces, it yields. And what God is doing is forming uh, Jacob more into his image and he's teaching him things because Jacob will be renamed before this book is over and Jacob, his name changes to Israel and he becomes the father of the Jewish nation. And his name, scholars go back and forth on his name. They say it either means prince of God or 
governed by God. And God is using all these things in Jacob's life to change him because his whole family, in his family, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Jacob says to Laban, what have you done? And Laban, verse 26 says, it's not the practice in our place to marry off the younger before the firstborn. Oh, I may have overlooked a small detail that I failed to share with you seven years ago. I don't know if you noticed in the small print of the contract that you signed, but that's not how we do things around here. You see, we marry first the older and then the younger. Now get this irony. Jacob was the younger who stole the blessing from the older. And even though God, his intention all the while, even while the kids were in the womb, was that the older would serve the younger, still God was showing Jacob something else. He's saying, look, you can't just cast aside the order of things. You manipulated your way, and so now he gets to marry the older before the younger, and another ironic thing comes his way. The irony is thick. And so, you know, I don't know how Laban said this, but he said, complete the week of this one. I think that's the wedding week, the seven days. And we will give you the other also for the service which you shall serve me for what? Uh, all I need is another seven years. <laughs> now, so get this. Jacob, by the time this is all done, he's going to pay four dowries for Rachel's hand. Because I told you the typical dowries, if we say it's three and a half years, so take 14 you do the math, he pays four times the normal dowry. You remember when little Zacchaeus, he went up in the tree and he wanted to see Jesus as he was passing by and Jesus went off to have a meal with him and the people stood by and they said, they said there he goes, he's gonna, have, he's gonna eat with a sinner. That's how people say it too, sinner. We're all sinners, right? Well, whatever Jesus said to him, and I think he looked into Zacchaeus' soul. Zacchaeus said, I will give back four times what I've taken. And maybe the message in Jacob's life is God said, guess what? You're gonna pay four times the normal dowry as a restitution for what you've done. And Jacob did so, and he completed her week, and he gave him his daughter Rachel as his wife, and Laban also gave his maid Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her maid. So Jacob went into Rachel. They were intimate also, verse 30. And indeed, he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban for another seven years. So he fulfilled what he was supposed to do. And now he's got two wives. Two sisters are his wives. And yes, he was in weekly counseling. Now the Lord saw, as we conclude, that Leah was unloved. And he opened her, her womb, but Rachel was barren. Now folks, as we wind down, I think that this is for somebody tonight. The Lord saw that Leah was unloved. Sometimes when we're in a situation where we feel like second or third or fourth or fifth best and we're Maybe we're lonely. Maybe we've been betrayed. Maybe we've been left by somebody. Or maybe they're still there, but for all practical purposes, they've left us. We feel unloved. And, 
And I think sometimes when we feel unloved, we wonder, does God know? And the Lord saw that, he, that she was unloved. In fact, I would say that implied here is the Lord saw her pain. And so he opened her womb and Leah conceived and bore a son and named him Reuben. Reuben is the firstborn of the 12 sons of Jacob. These are the 12 tribes of the patriarchs. And she said, because the Lord has seen my affliction, surely now my husband will love me. And Reuben means behold, a son, and we'll give more details as we move along. Then she conceived again and bore a son and, and said, because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, the Lord saw that I'm unloved, he heard that I'm unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. So she named him Simeon. By the way, Simeon means the Lord hears, or simply it means heard. And she conceived again, 34, and bore a son and said, now this time my husband will become attached to me. Levi is the next son because I have borne him three sons. Therefore, he was named Levi. In case you wonder, Levi means joined to or attached to. All these names linked to the descriptions that you see in these verses. And she conceived again, verse 35, and bore a son and said, this time, notice, she doesn't say, I hope he'll love me. She says, this time I will what? I will praise the Lord. And therefore she named him Judah, and Judah means praise. And she stopped bearing. She's gonna bear again, but I want you to notice, brothers and sisters, that she felt unloved and as she bore children and Rachel's womb was closed, she said, now he'll love me, now he'll love me, now he'll love me. And then finally she says, you know what? I'm just gonna praise the Lord. I don't know what's gonna happen. I don't know if he's gonna ever love me like he loves her, but I'm gonna praise the Lord. And do you know that the line of Judah is extremely important. The line of Levi Okay, everybody knows the line of Levi is the priestly line, and Moses comes from that line. And from the line of Judah, you have the kingly line, and one would come beyond David. David would come from this line too. But one would come who is called the Lion of the tribe of Judah. His name is Jesus Christ. And do you know that Jesus Christ ends up coming through the line of the unloved woman? Because God takes sometimes when we feel unloved and he says, look, I love you. I know your pain. I know your struggles. I'm not giving up on you. I know what's going on here in your life. Would you bow with me, Father? Thank you for your word. Word of God, would you pour down like rain? Wash my eyes. Wash my heart. Lord, there's so many layers in this story and so much that we can relate to. And I'm sure we've all probably found our place in this story. But these stories were told for our uh, benefit, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We're to heed from these stories, we're to learn from these stories because we're to find ourselves in these stories that we might find ourselves in your love and grace. See, we've all made our mistakes, Lord. You know what they are. We don't have to go over them. But despite them, you have been faithful. And Jacob's ladder came down in the person of Jesus Christ. 
and you say, I love you tonight. And someone just needs to hear that tonight. You may feel unloved, but I love you. And you don't have to earn my love. I'm going to do things for you. I'm going to cause the Messiah to come from your line, Leah. And even though you, your eyes may be weak and you're not as pretty as your sister and you feel like you're second or third or fourth or fifth best, to me, my son's coming through that line to show you that God loves sometimes even when we feel unlovable. Hey, if you've been listening to these radio messages and you've opened your heart to Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you may be asking the question, what do I do now? Let me give you four things really quick of what to do after you become a Christian. Number one is read your Bible. You know, the Bible is like spiritual nourishment for your soul. It's spiritual food for the inner man. So think of your Bible as food for the soul. Get into your Bible and get your Bible into you. Open it up and read it for yourself. Number two, find a good, healthy Bible teaching church. You know, it's not enough for a church to say they're Bible believing. Make sure that they're Bible teaching and make sure that they teach in an expository fashion, going through passages and explaining the meaning of the text. Number three is to pray. You know, prayer is really a two-way communication with you and God. Pray with an open Bible. Keep your heart open. The Lord will speak to you primarily through the scriptures, but he can also speak to your heart and show you what to do. And number four is share your faith with others. Tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ that you have embraced personally in your life. Tell them about how you've been born again to a living hope in Christ. That will give them the opportunity to meet Jesus Christ themselves. And it will also keep you accountable to this new life that you have in Christ. If we can be of help in any way at Living Truth Radio, we'd like to know. We'd like to know if you made a decision to follow Christ. And if you're looking for a church to plug into, use the contact form at livingtruthradio.org and let us know. We'd love to help you. If you have questions, if you are looking for a healthy church, if we can help you in any way, let us know. livingtruthradio.org is the website. This is Pastor Michael Lance. We will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. Hey folks, when you're doing radio, you know, it's a little hard to tell sometimes who's listening. And we would really like to know if the program's been a blessing to you and has impacted your life. And here's how you can get word to us. Go to livingtruthradio.org livingtruthradio.org and in the contact form let us know that you're listening let us know who you are what station you listen on how the programs impacted your life and even how we can pray for you that'd be a great blessing to us and if there's something that you want to put there that we can use to encourage other radio listeners to say hey Pastor Michael this is how the programs impacted me and you are welcome to use this to uh, encourage other radio listeners so that'd be a blessing to us go to livingtruthradio.org in the contact form just let us know who you are. Thank you so much. We appreciate you listening. Pray for us. Tell a friend about what you're hearing on this broadcast. And we'll catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.